I was living in a devil town I didn't know it was a devil town Oh Lord, it really brings Welcome me to Season 3, Episode 2 of the Devil's Junkie Podcast. I am Ralph Amsden, and I am up past midnight right now recording this for you guys. Uh, tomorrow is signing day, so we're doing our best over at devilsdigest.com to get you as many uh, pieces of content up as we can, as much inside information as we can. I also double as the publisher of ArizonaVarsity.com, so there's about 300 kids from Arizona that are committing to various schools right now, and we're just trying to keep everything sorted out. So for uh, the purposes of this podcast, I'm being a little bit of a night owl. And speaking of owls, I want to uh, talk a little bit about this Lane Kiffin promo video that is floating around. I don't know if you've heard or seen about this, uh, but Lane Kiffin, he could not be less excited to be promoting his new school. Uh, let's take a listen. Hey, Owl Nation. This is Coach Kiffin. What an exciting time. Next week is National Signing Day. As we sign some of the best players in America, we need some of the best fans in America. So please join us next week for this exciting season. Come watch the Owls have a great year and championship run, starting with you. Go Owls. Well, <laughs> what an exciting time, he says. Uh, hopefully that's the most boring thing you hear on this podcast. I think that's one of the reasons I wanted to play it for you, just to set the mood a little bit. Uh, but that is Lane Kiffin out at Florida Atlantic, and he is hyped for the 2017 season. And uh, it, it's possible that maybe he wasn't feeling too good because Florida Atlantic just lost a recruit, if you can believe it or not, to Arizona State University. And we will get more into that coming up on Devil's Junkie Podcast. So obviously the biggest news this week is where Arizona State finds itself uh, as far as its coaching staff goes. Now, going into the week, I I appeared on the Speak of the Devils podcast. I plugged Sonny Dykes uh, as the new offensive coordinator because um, Hode Rubino and sources that I have had said that this is something that was going to happen. And so, you know, I get on the Speak of the Devils podcast with Brad Denny and Joe Healy, uh, the best Arizona State podcast there is. And we're talking, and I tell them, you know, Sonny Dykes is probably who Todd Graham's looking at at bringing in because it's somebody that he trusts because, you know, Sonny Dykes could really use that stepping stone to a new job right now. And ultimately, behind the scenes, it was something that Arizona State was really negotiating with Sonny Dykes because he had been here after being fired at Cal to look at Arizona State as a potential destination for an analyst role. And uh, he ends up taking a similar role with Texas Christian instead. And when the offensive coordinator job opens up, because Chip Lindsey heads out to Auburn for a, a truckload of money, um, Todd Graham approaches Sonny Dykes again to see if he might be interested. And uh, Sonny Dykes thinks on it for a little while. And, you know, it turns out that his dad has a terminal illness and he's out there, you know, helping him set up end of life care. And he just wouldn't be able to dedicate the energy to Arizona State football uh, that the position would 
warrant. And so he ends up turning that down. And, and, and for a moment in time, Arizona State fans have to be wondering, you know, exactly what, who can they count on? What are they going to be able to do? Because, you know, this is a situation where Chip Lindsey tells you he's going to stay and then gets an offer he can't refuse and leaves. You've been in the middle of a week of having, you know, recruits who were maybe silently committed behind the scenes ultimately being swayed by other schools and and leaving. And so, you know, you don't really know what Arizona State's going to be able to do here just before signing day. Are they going to be able to lock down Uh, an offensive coordinator. The original thought was that they should have one ready by Friday by the time they all went into their in-home visit with 2017 quarterback recruit Ryan Kelly. It doesn't work out like that. Obviously, Sonny Dyke says he can't take the job. Then you go into the weekend, the weekend before signing day, without an offensive coordinator. And that makes it hard to make sure that you're going to wrap up your recruits, to make sure that they're going to sign. And then all of a sudden, on Saturday night, late Saturday night, like 8 p.m., it comes out on AL.com, which covers uh, a a lot of news for the Southeast, uh, that Billy Napier is going to leave as Alabama's wide receiver coach, make his way over to Arizona State and become the offensive coordinator. Devil's Digest, Hoderbino is able to confirm that through his channels, and uh, it turns out that Arizona State goes, uh, and Arizona State fans go from wondering, you know, who are they going to bring in as offensive coordinator? Is it going to be somebody in the Malzahn system? Is it going to be somebody who's just going to be one and done? Um, is it going to be a retread? You know, w- what's the situation going to be? All of a sudden, pretty much everybody's wildest expectations are blown out of the water when you bring in somebody that, you know, served as a recruiting coordinator at Clemson for three years, brought in the number 18, number 17 and number 12 classes while he was over there uh, and then ends up going to Alabama as an analyst uh, and, you know, working his way back up to a position coach um, and and winning multiple national championships under the tutelage of Nick Saban. And, and I, you know, ended up tweeting out a list of the, the wide receivers that he was able to land over the five recruiting classes that he was recruiting for Alabama. And they were just getting better. Probably the best wide receiver that I've seen live in this class is a guy named Jerry Judy, who Rivals has ranked as a five-star. And that's somebody who's going into Alabama's recruiting class this year. So he's a guy who's known as a recruiter. Uh, he has run an offense before. He was promoted and ended up at offensive coordinator out at Clemson. They struggled. He was only 30 years old at the time, and he ends up getting fired. Uh, but, you know, has six or seven years after that to be able to rehab his career, refine what he's able to do and his image and everything like that. And and, and ultimately, Arizona State ends up getting somebody uh, that you, you might not have thought they'd have had the ability to, um, to get their hands on. And so uh, I think that this pull by Todd Graham is something that Arizona State fans should really be encouraged by. And what's interesting is he was hired uh, or it came out that he was hired on Saturday night and he already has his fingerprints on this recruiting class in one way or another. And that's something that we will get into a little bit later 
on the show. But as it stands right now, Arizona State's coaching staff, the, the new additions, what you're looking at right now is you still have head coach Todd Graham. They said it couldn't be done. They said he'd be one and done, and here he is getting ready to go into his sixth season at Arizona State. You have Billy Napier, his second go-around as an offensive coordinator, former Alabama wide receiver coach, former Clemson OC, former Clemson recruiting coordinator coming in to run the offense. The wide receivers are going to be coached by Rob Likens, who has been at Cal, who has been an offensive coordinator at Kansas. Your offensive line is going to be coached by Josh Henson, who has been an offensive coordinator in the SEC with Missouri. He's been a recruiting coordinator at LSU as well. Uh, And then you have John Simon, who's done a great job of bringing in running backs this year. That's a solid offensive staff. You still have the tight ends position open after Delvon Alexander leaves to go to Notre Dame. Uh, the, The conventional wisdom would be that Sean Slocum would handle the tight ends and special teams. What I am hearing is that Josh Martin might actually be a candidate to take over for tight ends. He's somebody, if you remember, took over for Bo Graham, who uh, who had to leave after a personnel violation, ended up submitting his resignation, and Josh Martin and Chris Thompson sort of co-ran the, the running backs coach role back in 2015. Now, Josh Martin stuck around. He took not necessarily a, a demotion, maybe a promotion from where he was at before, you know, in more of an analyst role and and now there's a possibility of him being back in the tight ends coach role we will see how that shakes out Um, but you're looking at at only the running backs coach having any continuity from last season on the offensive side of the ball on the defensive side of the ball tj rushing is handling the defensive backs namely corners and he has done an absolute lights out job at being an energetic youthful recruiter dog on the road uh even though you know he has he has a new baby at home he is out there and he is in everybody's business making sure that kids all over essentially texas louisiana and and then the southeast know what's going on in Tempe. Phil Bennett, the defensive coordinator, he is going to be taking over uh, calling the defense as well as coaching the safeties, which is something we'll talk a little bit more at in another segment on this podcast. Coach Bennett's going to be coaching the safeties as well as the defense as a whole. Uh, Keith Patterson, last year's defensive coordinator or defensive coordinator sort of in name, uh, he will either be retained coaching linebackers could opt to move on after signing day. We will ultimately see uh, what his decision is, um, but he would be a valuable piece of this defense and kind of give, give Todd Graham uh, the comfort of having somebody who knows how he works and who's on his side and not have too much new blood in the room. And they're probably looking to fill that defensive line role with somebody uh, knowing that Joe Samalo is, is not going to be retained by this staff. So um, this is, the, uh, this is a brand new staff and the fact that they were able to do what they've done with this recruiting class uh, is very impressive. But the big news of the week, Arizona State gets its man in Billy Napier, former wide receivers coach at Alabama, to run this offense, giving them three former Power 5 offensive coordinators all helping run this offensive staff going into 2017. So as I was saying earlier, it's signing day eve. I mean, if you haven't made your mind up yet, uh, one thing I've noticed is 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 the ones who go into signing day, 
not having any idea of, of what they want to do and ultimately, you know, putting their name on, on a piece of paper based on how they feel that morning, nine times out of ten, those guys transfer. And so it's good uh, if you if you are blessed enough to have the opportunity to go through the recruiting process um, before your senior year, the way a lot of quarterbacks do, to really get a feel for what what's out there, where you want to play, get a look at the depth chart, and be able to get your commitment in before your senior season is ever set, then if any other options or coaching changes move around, then you already had the experience of having seen some schools and done some stuff like that. But the truth of the matter is it doesn't work that way for most other positions. Um, as we've seen this week, offensive linemen and tight ends, you know, when, when you're kind of getting to the bottom of the barrel or your, your A, B, C, D, E options, you know, a lot of those guys are the same, you know, B option for one school is a B option for another school. If they don't get their A option, then they're both going for B at the same time. You know, you want to be able to take official visits. You want to be able to look at these schools that you're going to be signing with and committing to. And the truth is, if you get three offers um, with a week left, you have to do some pretty wild scheduling gymnastics to be able to get uh, even one visit in, much less three, the way that one recruit uh, that I talked to tonight was able to do. And so it's a really stressful time for recruits, for recruiting. Uh, The ones who made up their minds a long time ago have other people in their head trying to, you know, make sure that they're solid. Um, You know, we've run into situations this year where we have parents making decisions uh, that might be in the best interest of a kid, uh, but they're definitely on behalf of a kid and against the kid's wishes. So, you know, we've seen that a little bit this year, and we've seen people make up their mind three years ago in the case of Lauren Mondi and hold on to that commitment, you know, from eighth grade all the way through his senior year of high school and will end up at Arizona State. So, uh, there's there's definitely not one formulaic characterization to put on on recruits as a whole as much as people do like to stereotype kids and you know I saw this week on on Twitter people blasting uh, players for for counting their offers and for using the term blessed every time they tweet out an offer and, and everything like that um, you know I, I know that there's this stigma of the way that recruits act but the truth is for for nine out of ten of these kids the ones who aren't the the most elite who don't get to have hat ceremonies and and full gymnasiums watching them pick. You know, this is an incredibly stressful time where they're just trying to figure it out and be as quiet as possible about it. And you have guys like me that are calling them on the phone and trying to get their mindset and feed that stuff to message boards through devilsdigest.com and everything like that. And so um, I I definitely respect their time and and the time that they're willing to give me. And this week um, I, I was able to actually do some pretty cool things uh, with bringing some information uh, about the recruiting process for a couple of recruits in particular uh, of interest to Arizona State to the message boards at devilsdigest.com and and we'll talk about that in a second here but first off let's look at the recruits that Arizona State was able to bring in this week you, you have a new staff they've hit the ground running signing day is is moments away and and what they're first able to do is they land a priority target in K.J. Jarrell. Now, K.J. Jarrell is a safety at Saguaro High School, a big-time high school here. They've won four state championships in a row. Uh, 
Arizona State fans would know Saguaro as uh, sort of heartbreak high for the last couple of years because, you know, with Christian Kirk, it came down to Arizona State or Texas A&M, and, and he chose Texas A&M. With Byron Murphy, it came down to Arizona State or Washington, and he chose Washington. So, you know, this year it, you were wondering if, if, if K.J. Jarrell was going to go with USC over Arizona State, and ultimately, in his own mind, he did. He did go with USC over Arizona State, but what changed the game was the way that USC was recruiting him up toward the end. And and one of the cool things that KJ Jarrell did uh, uh, for for me this week was he allowed me to help him tell his own recruiting story, so that when he actually committed, we were able to put a story out there of him telling the story of how he came to decide and choose to be. And Arizona State commit. And if you get a chance to read that, it's one of the coolest things uh, I've ever had an opportunity to be a part of. And I was able to do that twice this week. Uh, one went Arizona State's way, one didn't. But it, for, for KJ Jarrell at Saguaro, uh, it's called My Commitment. And it's free for you to read up at devilsdigest.com. It's something you should definitely check out. But it just takes somebody through the process of the first time they ever play football to the time they realize that they can play to the time that they're getting calls from coaches to when they ultimately have to make up their mind and for KJ Jarrell he said that you know he he wanted to go to USC and it seemed like USC wanted him they ultimately tried to push his visit to the same weekend that he was visiting ASU and uh and he you know he wanted to make sure that he took that ASU visit he met coach Phil Bennett who assured him that he would become the safeties coach so he he got to know the coach that would actually be coaching him if he uh, went to Arizona State and then he had the opportunity on his official visit to spend some time with Todd Graham in social settings away from the football field, see how Todd Graham treats people, see how Todd Graham interacts with other people, and that really won him and his parents over, made them feel cult- uh, comfortable, and, and and ultimately give their commitment to Todd Graham uh, on, on that Sunday, and then he was able to announce it at school. Uh, a couple of days later. But yeah, look for that. My commitment, it's up on devilsdigest.com. And then Arizona State lost out on a big one. They had a priority recruit in Isaiah Polamau out of Mountain Point High School. It's somebody that they have been after for a very long time since his sophomore year in high school. Uh, he, To me, he is the state's best defensive player and the best prospect. Now, when I say best player and prospect, when I say somebody's a good high school football player, that might be somebody who actually never suits up or puts the pads on in college. Some of the best high school players aren't meant for the college game. They don't have the bodies for the college game. Some of them aren't even interested in moving on to play in college. And you know, and, and, and every single year, there are plenty of players that I look at as being, I mean, absolute stars in high school, the best players that you can have, uh, but ultimately aren't the best players prospects um for you know for uh college and then moving on to to potentially have a shot at the nfl this year on the defensive side of the ball my top player and my top prospect were the same exact guy and that was isaiah polamau out of mountain point high school now this is a kid who's 6'4 200 pounds safety grew up wanting to play receiver but ultimately got put in the defensive backfield as a sophomore and in a game against Chandler High School realized, you know, I'm, I'm actually not bad and and stuck it out and ended up getting a bunch of offers. And ultimately, it came down to Washington, Arizona State.
State and USC. And he's another player who gave me the opportunity to take me through all of his story and help him write his own commitment story. And that's up on ArizonaVarsity.com. Uh, and it's called Why I'll Fight On. And, and the reason it's called Why I'll Fight On is because he committed to the USC Trojans. Um, they were the school that that he grew up a fan of. His uncle is Troy Polamau. Uh, and so, you know, Isaiah Polamau and Troy Polamalu. Uh, and, you know, he, he grew up watching USC, and USC is a big deal to Polynesians and people who grew up in the Samoan community the way that he did. So he takes ASU uh, off the board because, you know, USC came in late. Um, they, they made a real push for him. And, and, and they end up getting a, a commitment from him. And he, at, at times, felt like he was really a runner-up um, for them. Um, they really wanted Bubba Bolden. And it wasn't until Bubba Bolden decommitted that they started really pursuing Isaiah Pullamau. And he's a kid who had actually you know given a silent commitment to Arizona State, had leaned Arizona State's way. Um, but Bubba Bolden's decommitment opened the doors for USC, and then ultimately Bubba Bolden commits to USC as well. So that one action by Bubba Bolden at the Under Armour All-America game out in Florida opens the door for USC to actually beat Arizona State for two priority recruits. Um, and, you know, and this is somebody who's really laid back and, and, and who I was able to talk to his family. And they said that Arizona State recruits like nobody they've ever been around before, that they absolutely get after you and, and that it was very intense. And the recruiting style didn't always necessarily fit um, th- their style and their personalities, but at the same time, uh, it almost worked. You know, you, you can't say that this staff, based on the feedback that I get from prospects, you can't say that this staff doesn't go all out for its priorities. Um, they they are absolutely all over the guys that they want, and, and sometimes they get them, sometimes they don't. In, in Isaiah's case, um, it came down to the school that he absolutely worshipped as a child, and, and he comes off the board. But Arizona State is able to rebound and get a couple of other commitments, and let's get into those because one of them actually came uh, on, on, on this Tuesday, on January 30th, Evan Fields, a three-star uh, safety out of Oklahoma who has had the absolute craziest two months crazy two months ever since Arizona State went out to visit him on November 30th 2016 this is a kid who since that time exactly two months has had 14 power five offers come in since November 30th since the high school football season ended he has had 14 extra power five offers come in Potentially one of the hottest recruits in the entire country next to a wide receiver named Gavin Holmes, who was a silent commit to Arizona State, ultimately ended up giving his commitment to Baylor. But, I mean, Evan Fields is somebody who Arizona State was on early. They're his second Power 5 offer after Kansas State all the way back in June, and they have been on him. He's in Oklahoma. TJ Rushing has experience out in Oklahoma Todd Graham, obviously Keith Patterson does as well. They understand the game out there. They understand what it's like, how important football is, and he was really able to vibe with them. He commits to Arizona State despite getting 14 Power 5 offers in the last two months and taking official visits after his Arizona State official visit to both UCLA and Notre Dame. 
he did his commitment ceremony today did the whole fake out thing where he pretended to pick up the 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 Kansas State hat and put it on and then ultimately switched back to the Arizona State hat um, but this is a big get at safety for Arizona State and this is somebody who everybody wanted and and ultimately Arizona State gets him you know and it wasn't just the offers that he was getting he was having people visit him all the time in December alone in December alone he canceled his original 1213 uh, decision date which is the anniversary um uh, I believe or it might have been his father's birthday and his father uh, unfortunately passed away uh, some years ago um, but he had a home visit in December alone with with TJ rushing and then Kansas State visited him and then Mississippi State visited him and then he had a whole slew of offers and then after the dead period ended, guess who the first person was that was there with him? Arizona State. Keith Patterson was there. Then Notre Dame comes. Then he has his UCLA official visit. And then as soon as he gets back from UCLA, Kansas State visits, Notre Dame visits, TCU visits. And right in the middle of all that, Arizona State's there with Donnie Antis, Phil Bennett, and Chip Lindsey when he was still offensive coordinator of Arizona State. So, so Arizona State sees him in person four times in the last two months and gets an official visit. And that's just a really good illustration of how heavy they can be after a player when, when they really, really want him. And in the, in the days before he committed to Arizona State, he got a Missouri offer and a Florida offer, didn't have an opportunity to take a last official visit the last weekend before signing day because he actually played in a Team USA game in Florida. So, you know, this kid was incredibly busy, uh, gave his silent commitment to Arizona State some time ago, and Arizona State was able to withstand all of that and kept on him. And it's really a credit to this program that they sent different coaches, you know, every single time. It was Patterson on November 30th. You know, it was it was um, TJ Rushing, yeah, I think on November 8th. It was Patterson again in in uh early January, I think maybe January 12th, and then, you know, he gets a school visit uh from Donnie Antis and Phil Bennett and and, and Chip Lindsay um in mid-January, and so I mean, they they do absolutely everything they can to land him, uh, and they they get his commitment. and And if he signs, then he'll really help shore up the defensive backfield, along with KJ Jarrell this week. So even though they missed out on Isaiah Polamau, they really really help shore up uh, a couple of needs in the defensive backfield, and at least the safety position should be taken care of for now. Um, one of the other commitments that they earned this week that was very interesting is a tight end out of Yuma Sabola named Mark. Walton. Now, because I cover high school football, I um, get to see a lot of the guys around the state. Mark Walton's actually somebody that I awarded as the Division Five tight end of the year last year out of Yuma Cibola. And going into his senior year, he actually had a pretty good senior campaign. They jumped up in competition level. They played at the absolute highest level in the state this year, uh, which is something that they they hadn't done in previous years. And you know he's able to get 39 catches, over 600 yards receiving, and 10 touchdowns, um, but isn't really getting any recruiting attention until two weeks ago. Now, I interviewed Mark Walton uh, tonight because he he announced his commitment to Arizona State University tonight. Uh, but I want to talk just a little bit about these two weeks. And, and you got to have some empathy and some sympathy for what these kids go through when they're being recruited. This is a kid who didn't have an FBS offer um, 14 days ago at all. Uh, he had a South Dakota State offer. And what ends up happening is he gets a call from a school that he has never talked to before in Florida Atlantic. And they say, Hey, do you want to come visit? Or, uh, 
or, you know, I'm sure in, in Lane Kiffin's most excited voice, like, hey, Florida Atlantic is awesome. Come visit us. And he goes out there and uh, he he is on an official visit at Florida Atlantic. Uh, I believe if I have the timetable correctly, comes back home, gets an offer from them, gets a call from Arizona State and Vanderbilt asking him to officially visit, flies out to Tennessee, takes an official visit to Vanderbilt, flies back to Arizona, goes on an official visit with Arizona State, and in that time is also offered by San Diego State and Fresno State. So, I mean, absolutely insane couple of weeks for Mark Walton. And when he gets to Arizona State, you know, he has a meeting with Todd Graham, and Todd Graham basically tells him, you need to go somewhere where you feel comfortable around the coaches, around the players, and you really feel like you're part of the team. And in Mark Walton's head, he's thinking, all right, well, that's Arizona State. Uh, but Arizona State didn't have a scholarship for him. You know, they, and they weren't even sure if they wanted to use him at tight end or, or on defense. So they, they told him, you know what, sign with us on signing day. And it'll be a 50-50 shot that you either gray shirt or we have a scholarship for you. And Mark Walton, I mean, he's stressing out. You know, I I talked to him tonight. He's stressing out. You know, he wants to go to Arizona State. But, you know, what what kind of life decision is it if you turn down a full ride to Vanderbilt in the SEC on a 50-50 whim that Arizona State's even going to be able to take you in this recruiting class without making you, you know, be away from the team for a semester and then jump in as a gray shirt, which in the Todd Graham era hasn't really been something that's worked out in the team's favor or in the player's favor. What are you going to do? And so while he's stressing about this, he gets a phone call from the new offensive coordinator, Billy Napier, to say, guess what? No matter what you do, we've got you. We've got a scholarship for you. Sign with us. If you're ready to commit, you're good to go. And uh, and and as it was relayed to me, Mark Walton told me, he said, if you're 100% committed to me, I'm 100% committed to you. You know, he tweeted out his commitment, and he will be part of the 2017 class. This is a six foot five, around 230-pound tight end. Good hands is played against lower-level competition, so it's really hard to gauge what his ability is. But I believe, and I have believed for some time, that if he was somebody who was playing up in the Phoenix area, he would have a lot more recruiting attention. Now, what does this mean for for the other tight end who uh, was pledged to Arizona State University and Jared Poplowski. Uh, it means that he's probably going to be going with another option. And this last weekend, he took an official visit to the University of Colorado. Uh, he was a little bit surprised by Arizona State taking Mark Walton's commitment or that it had come out on Twitter that they did, um, but ultimately ended up making up his mind um, to, uh, to go elsewhere. And I'm sure that we'll be hearing something official come out on that soon um stay tuned to devilsdigest.com subscribe get in the forums because if you are then you would have known all of this ahead of time uh that that he you know he he's somebody who you know you're not always going to be able to overcome the loss of your offensive coordinator your wide receivers coach your tight end coach um you know that that's not going to work out um, for all of your recruits. And what's interesting is I, I believe that once signing day, you know, once the ink dries for everybody on signing day, Arizona State will have gone through this year and all of the coaching ch- transition that they've had and and, and the losing that they did um, and really only have three decommits. Three, which is amazing. Three is a, is a week 
for University of Arizona when it when it gets you know and I'm not even bashing University of Arizona right now when it comes to signing day you know they they front load their classes and then people get better options and and break off last year they had over 10 decommit this year they're getting really close to that and so you know for Arizona State to go through all the transition that they did and only have three kids decommit and they retained one of them one of them was Alex Perry of Bishop Gorman they got his commitment back you know one of the other one of the other uh, decommits uh, was Germany Brown who ultimately decommitted because he moved from California to Virginia and lost contact with the Arizona State coaches and also upon further evaluation wasn't necessarily a Pac-12 level player he ends up at Boise State you know he, he was a kid who rivals had ranked I think 50th at one time and is now not part of the the 250 at all and is a borderline four star um, you know so that was really a reevaluation that, that that caused him to to lose contact and and latch on elsewhere uh, but you know when it comes to Alex Perry you know they really wanted him and he decommitted and they were able to bring him back into the fold uh, and 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 if Jared Poplowski ends up being their only other decommit. Um, after having won back Alex Perry and after having convinced Doug Suttle to wait an extra year and figure out his academics and come back to Arizona State, you, you really have to applaud the job that Todd Graham has done managing his staff and, and, and you know, by default, their job managing the recruits as we've moved into signing day. I, I don't think that's something that you can overlook uh, when thinking about whether another mediocre season could potentially cost Todd Graham his job. You have to look at the recruiting they've done over the last four years versus the recruiting they've done historically. There has been no other era like this. So kudos to Todd Graham and his staff for what they've been able to do. It does look like they are going to lose a potential commit, but at the same time, uh, they've they've brought some into the fold. And if you are a member of Devil's Digest and you hop into the forums, you'll realize if you're listening to this before signing day that there are a few others who have told the Arizona State staff that they're going to commit but have not announced yet. Not everybody Arizona State is bringing into the fold this year is coming in via scholarship. Uh, There are also lots of walk-ons. Now, Arizona State didn't really have a great uh, ability to bring walk-ons into the fold the last couple of years, but it got a little bit better with Donnie Yates as recruiting coordinator, having been uh, somebody who built the program at Arizona Christian and was a head coach at Paradise Valley. This is somebody who knew the Valley, was able to develop relationships with other high school coaches and has convinced some talented players to come in and fill those roles of of walk-ons and ultimately we'll see down the road if any of them are able to earn scholarships. But this last weekend, they actually hosted a walk-on day. They brought in a lot of players, showed them around, and and, and invited them to, to make that pledge to come to Arizona State to, to walk on and try out. Now, this is called the Devil's Junkie Podcast. This means if you're listening to this podcast, you want more than just the surface stuff. You want to go a little bit deeper. It means you're a little bit hardcore. It means you probably listen to a couple other podcasts out there and you're looking for a way to fill time. And I'm happy to be that time filler for you. Uh, But if you want the hardcore stuff, then I'm about to deliver it right now. I actually talked tonight to Joe Reeves. Now, Joe Reeves goes to Verado High School. 
he is going to be coming in as a walk-on long snapper. Now, some of you listening to this might not even know uh, the current long snapper's name, um, but it's it's Mitch Ferboni. He went to Mountain Point High School. He was part of what might be one of the best teams of all time in the state of Arizona. And, you know, he was able to come into Arizona State. He was able to, to earn a scholarship, and he's been one of the better long snappers in the Pac-12. He was sorely missed when he was out for a few games last year uh, due to an undisclosed injury. And so, you know, he's going to be a senior, though. They need to replace him. And what Doniatis did was he identified somebody that he wanted to bring in to compete for the job once Fraboni had moved on. And uh, who he approached was Verado long snapper Joe Reeves. Now, I'm familiar with this school um, because I cover high school football. And the worst prediction that I ever made uh, in an article that I wrote one time was... Uh, I predicted that uh, Verado would lose in the playoffs to Sunrise Mountain and that it would be so bad and that the only opportunity that Verado ever had to, to to win this game would be, you know, if, if aliens landed on the earth. And, and not only did Verado win, they won by a lot, and I've been getting aliens um, t- tweeted at me for the last year and a half. So it's always fun to get a kid from Verado on the phone, but I wanted to walk... Uh, the Devil's Junkie podcast listeners a little bit through exactly what it means to be a walk-on, to be in uh, competing for an opportunity not only to get on the field, but to get your school paid for, uh, and to actually talk about you know a specialist role um, that that is absolutely vital to your success on the field. So here it is, my interview with Joe Reeves. All right, so I have Joe Reeves. Verado Long Snapper, 2017 graduate, just decided to uh, accept a preferred walk-on spot to come on uh, at Arizona State University. Thanks for coming on the podcast, Joe. Thanks for having me. So I have a, a few questions. Um, long Snapper is like the forgotten position. You don't want to know that you even have a Long Snapper. You just want your Long Snapper to... To, to have an accurate snap, get their block off, maybe go down and make a tackle if you need to, but you never really want to have to know their name. Um, what has your journey been like, you know, coming up through the ranks, and how do, how do you become notable as a long snapper? Well, it's funny that you say you don't really even want to know their name because you're, you're never talked about as a long snapper until you mess up. And uh, mm. it's, it's something you need to understand as a long snapper, but it's something you also need to work with and know that you're a very valuable position on the team, even though you may never get talked about. But uh, without you, there'd be no no uh, punts, no, no field goals, and you're an important part of the team. And for me, as a long snapper coming up, I, I didn't really know this is what I would be doing. It's just something I knew that I could do. And I started going to camps, corn blue camps, and got ranked and realized that, wow, I, I, I could probably compete at the next level. So then I took another step, and this past summer, went to four camps at Stanford, uh, Stanford University, Northern Arizona University, Wisconsin, and the University of Arizona and performed well at all of those and came back, talked with my family and decided that, yeah, this is really what I would 
Mike to do it the next level. So, Verado, uh, it's, I, I have a little bit of a history with this school. I picked you guys to get uh, absolutely destroyed a couple years ago in the playoffs. I said that if you won, it would be evidence that the aliens have landed. Um, you guys blew that team out, and I've been getting alien emojis sent to me um, for about a year and a half straight. But this last year, you guys kind of took a step forward, and you had a big game where you were actually a, a big factor in that game. You beat uh, Desert Edge for the first time in school history, um, six to three, and obviously, you know, your snaps put your team in a position to win that game. Uh, what's it like to to be a part of a victory that big? But you know, everybody's talking about the kicker and the defense and everything like that. Well, it was it was very very exciting for the whole team, and I was very excited to be a part of it. Proud of my team. Proud to be a viper for sure that night and uh yeah my my snap was my snaps are a part of it but i really have to give it to my holder and kicker without them we're a chain and without them you know you you don't make that field goal you don't win the game so, so I, I i was very proud to be a viper that night and it was an important part of our school history so what schools were you in contact with? Who was reaching out to you before you ended up in contact with Arizona State's recruiting coordinator, Donnie Antis? Well, I, over, like I said, over the summer, I took those four, four uh, I was invited to those four camps. And uh, so Stanford was, I, I talked back and forth with Stanford, really liked the coaching staff, really liked the school. And uh, talked a little bit with the Wisconsin coaches, and kind of I like the area, but the football uh, football program there just didn't didn't seem to fit in there. And I actually had never hadn't talked to Arizona State University until uh, about two months ago, and it just kind of took off from there. I, I've always loved Arizona State, and I've always wanted to play there. My brother attended attended Arizona State University and graduated from there, and I've always loved the university, and it's really been a dream of mine to put that jersey on and play for them. So what's it like, uh, and, and you said you know, it was a couple of months of, of, of you and, and the coaching staff going back and forth until ultimately they show up at your school last week, and what was that like? That was very exciting. I, to be honest, I still feel pretty lucky that I'm in the situation that I'm in. I mean, yeah, I, I put in a lot of hard work in the offseason and in, in, in the season, but I really have to give it up to my my weight training coach, Coach Ward. He, he's always been there by my side. He uh, told me to stick it out whenever there were any gray parts of the football season, you know, just in a slump, not doing well. And uh, he's always pushed me and helped me get to this point. So what was walk-on day like when you actually went out to Arizona State and you're talking with coaches and you're looking around at the facilities? I mean, what what do the coaches tell walk-ons? How do they talk to walk-ons? Um, and and I guess, what was your reaction to the whole situation? Well, it was a great experience. And 
the coaches and a few of the players that they brought out to talk to us stressed that even though you might be a walk-on, you're treated the same as any scholarship player. And uh, there's no difference between that. You're, you're there with them working out hard. And they're, they're a family. They stress of their family. They're united together. And I really like that aspect of the, the football program. So Mitch Raboni, he's a senior. And basically, you're in a situation where they told you you'd redshirt this year, right? And so then it's almost a, a, an opportunity for you to not only earn a spot, but eventually, hopefully, earn a scholarship. So, I mean, what, what is your mindset now that you've settled and you know where you're going to go? What's your mindset? What do you need to do to get your goals accomplished and get where you need to go? Well, Mr. Boney is obviously a very accomplished long snapper going to have a long NFL career and I'm very happy to be able to train with him for a year and then follow his footsteps and play, play in his spot the next four years and I just, I'm really looking forward to being able to train with him. All right. Well, hey, I really, really appreciate your time, and and uh, obviously, you know, all of Arizona State's going to be rooting uh, for you and to not know your name. Uh, yes. All right. Well, thank you so much for jumping on the podcast, and I'll talk to you later, Joe. Thank you for having me. Now, Joe's not the only walk-on that I talked to. I, I I got a hold of everybody who's been offered some type of preferred walk-on spot with Arizona State. Some, like Cade Warner, son of Kurt Warner, are still. Uh, mulling it over, Gleason Sprewell, somebody I gave the D5 Defensive Back of the Year Award to in 2015 through Arizona Varsity. He's a kid who transferred to, to Centennial, helped them get all the way to the state title game. Very talented defensive back. Um, you know, he's somebody who's considering a preferred walk on uh, at Arizona State. Braden Valentine, a, a linebacker at Williams Field High School, who uh, was one of the better uh, Division Five linebackers this year uh, had an interception in the state title game that really helped turn the tide and, and and get Williams Field that that win. He's somebody who's considering it. Somebody who actually made the decision to walk on is Jordan Blake out of St. Mary's High School. Now you might recognize St. Mary's as being the home of former Arizona State quarterback Ryan Keeley. I had an opportunity to talk to Jordan Blake about his decision to walk on at Arizona State. All right, so we have Jordan Blake on the Devil's Junkie podcast, and today we're doing something a little bit different. We are talking to players who have decided to walk on, and Jordan, you're a little bit different. You actually had a couple of options out there. Um, uh, Who were some of the schools that you've been talking to? I've been talking to schools like Air Force Academy, uh, Adams State, Arizona Christian University, just uh, schools like that. Now, you were a player uh, that I actually got to watch play a little bit your junior year out at St. Mary's, both football and basketball, and I actually wrote something back in April saying, you know, look out for Jordan Blake with his athleticism playing in the defensive backfield. This is a guy that could break out. Now, you know, what were you expecting your senior year uh, as as far as recruiting, and were you were you disappointed with um, with how it turned out, and just what, what's it like to be uh, going through the recruiting process as a senior? Oh, for me, I mean, I wasn't too disappointed in with my recruiting process and anything. I mean, 
I was just trying to, you know, play my best and whatever happens, happens. So uh, for me, that was Arizona was like the best opportunity. So you are uh, you're from St. Mary's, um, which uh, has a long history of uh, football success, of basketball success. And you actually go to a school that uh, produced a quarterback for Arizona State, Ryan Keeley. Do they have things all over the all over the school out at St. Mary's um, that kind of harken back to some of the players they've sent on to college in the pros? Oh yeah, in our gym lobby, we have like a whole little showcase of uh, trophies and stuff like that. Does anybody ever get into the debate of like who is a better quarterback, Steve Bellis or Ryan Keeley? Uh, I, I heard. Uh... Some uh, coaches of mine get into those debates, but none of the players, really. The olden days stuff. So, I mean, are you somebody who likes football more than basketball, or is just that where your skill set took you for your college options? That's just where my skill set took me, but I personally both like like both sports equally. You got to be part of a defense that had uh, a couple of really, really good players. Uh, Odua Isabor, who was recruited by schools all over the country, um, Abel Navarrete was one of my favorite players. What was it like being at St. Mary's, um, and just what was the attitude of that team? Oh, the attitude, it was it was a lot different from any other teams. Like, the tradition there is crazy, so, I mean, um, just the defense was one of our specialties, and that's what we took our pride in. So now you're headed to Arizona State. Uh, you go to their walk-on day. I mean, what are some of the things they do for walk-on prospects there? Walk me through the day. Um, through our day, we uh, we had a little presentation. Coach Graham talked to us. We, uh, we met with the position coaches, mm-hmm. went over academic processes there, and it was, it was a great day overall. Is academic something that's that's really important to you? Oh, yes, of course. So you're you're headed to Arizona State, and what did they tell you specifically as a preferred walk-on? What do you need to do to make an impact, and what position are they looking at trying to fit you in at? For me, I, I'm going to be playing a defensive back at Arizona State, and to make an impact, I mean, I just have to, as, especially as a walk-on, I have to try my hardest and work harder than everyone else to, you know, get up in the spots. Who are some of the players that are on the current roster that you've kind of followed along with and, and are looking forward to playing with? I haven't followed along with too many of the players, but coming up in the next season, I'm going to be uh, glad to work with them. All right. Well, hey, thank you so much for being on the podcast. I really appreciate your time, Jordan. Uh, you're welcome. Thank you. So we have reached the last segment of the Devil's Junkie podcast. This is the part where I take questions from the Devil's Digest subscribers. And it looks like we have some interesting ones today. Let's just go ahead and jump right into it. From ASU House of Heat, uh, what 2018 recruits are we for sure going to go after? Also, what positions of need do we need to go after heavy this upcoming recruiting cycle? What recruits in this class do you expect to play right away? So the first two questions 
um, have to do with the the 2018 class. And what I went ahead and did is I published on devilsdigest.com, if you remember, uh, some of the locals that you can expect Arizona State, if they don't offer to at least be peripherally aware of moving into next year. 31 names on offense, considerably less on defense. Now, I only anticipate Arizona State to offer somewhere between conservatively five and and at the most 10 players in the in-state class next year. I think most of who Arizona State targets next year is going to be in the southeast. They're going to be in Texas, and I think they're going to try to make real inroads into California. I know we people have been hoping for that every single year. This year they've gone pretty much without it. Uh, really only junior college transfer Doug Suttle uh, briefly played junior college football in um, in California, he's from Florida by way of Haiti or Haiti by way of Florida. And Blake Barnett's a Southern California guy who transferred back to Arizona State after spending some time at Alabama. Other than that, you know, they've, they've pretty much struck out uh, in California this year. But if you want to know who they'll look at locally, go ahead and hop over to devilsdigest.com. Uh, I, I gave you a list of the, the local offensive players and local defensive players in two separate articles. They have offered some already, a North Canyon wide receiver, Solomon Enos. Um, they recently, after Josh Henson came on as offensive line coach, offered Joey Ramos out of Deer Valley High School. Uh, I believe they will soon offer Kenny Churchwell of, of Mountain Point. He's a very talented safety. Uh, and then they have an offer out to uh, Saguaro's Josiah Bradley, uh, who, who plays safety as well. Um, uh, there's a couple others that they might take a look at. I know Elijah Gamage, younger brother of Fred Gamage, is somebody I'm really high on. Uh, and then on, on the offensive side of the ball, there's there's definitely a lot of offensive linemen to choose from if they're looking to add to the huge amount of guards that they already have on this team. Uh, but Joey Ramos and Max Wilhite are probably the two best ones. But there's some other names, and it's definitely worth checking out. So. Make sure you look at devilsdigest.com for that information. Your other question was, what recruits in this class do you expect to play right away? The only one that I have basic expectations for is obviously Brandon Ruiz, the kicker. Uh, he's going to come in for, for Zane Gonzalez. I think he's going to beat John O'Brien uh, out of a job, and I think that he's he's going to be um, the, the opening day kicker, field goals, and kickoffs. Um, if he struggles, then you at least have a backup option to look at. Um, but but as far as everybody else, I don't necessarily see any player, you know, if, maybe if they land Austin Jackson, uh, he finds a way to get on the field, maybe in some special team scenarios or something like that. But um, as it stands right now, my best guess would be that Evan Fields could probably get some time. I'm I'm looking at Doug Suttle as being uh, necessary um, to this defense having success and being able to rush the passer. Uh, but but if you have to depend on anyone, I'd say it's Brandon Ruiz just because that job's open and he's already so good. All right, so from J.H. Leary on the devilsdigest.com message boards, is just getting to a bowl game enough for Coach Todd Graham to keep his job? Uh, it depends on the way he gets there. So if they go 4-0 and in non-conference play, if they get a win in Lubbock, um, if they basically if they do what they did this year, I'm going to say no. Because you want to be able to compete in the Pac-12 South 
period. Like that's what you need to be doing. So if you can get to a bowl game by winning your out of conference games and just doing mediocre or, or, or fairly poor in the Pac-12 as a whole, I, you know, I don't think that that's something that Ray Anderson will find acceptable. I don't think that's something that Todd Graham himself would find acceptable. I, I come back to this quote all the time. Todd Graham, you know, told me one time, they're not going to pay a million dollars to win half your football games, nor should they. And, you know, if Todd Graham's on board with that and he understands that, I think the Arizona State fans should have that expectation as well. Uh how have the current players reacted with the hiring of our new offensive coordinator? That is from Mad Dog KF on the Devil's Digest boards. From from what I understand, the only players that really had an opportunity to interact with them was a walk-on quarterback from Southern California um, named Kevin Brown, who, who seemed pretty excited by it. And then Mark Walton spoke to him on the phone to give him his commitment. But I, I think the current players overall – are probably just in wait-and-see mode because they went through this transition already, losing Mike Norvell and having to bring in Chip Lindsey. So, you know, if it happens once and, and maybe you feel like there's a possibility or a need for a change, then that can get you really excited and get your hopes up. But if it happens two years in a row, I think that you just sort of not collapse inward, but you become somebody who's more independent and focused on your own success and what you need to be able to do to handle things. If you need a coach um, to, to get you hyped up and for their personality to be what brings out something in you um, when, when you have it happen every year, um, then you're probably, you're probably somebody who goes with the flow a little bit too much and is a little bit too dependent on outside stimuli. And so I would think that most Arizona State players are just kind of sitting back and, and, and waiting to see. I think Blake Barnett obviously gave it the vote of confidence on Twitter, and that's important because that's somebody who's actually been around Billy Napier. So you, you would hate for Blake Barnett to have been like, oh, this sucks. Uh, but, you know, he seemed to be okay with it. Um, your transfer wide receivers, Ryan Newsom and John Humphreys, seem to be as well publicly. And so um, I, I guess that's as encouraging as it's going to look. This Arizona State team really isn't full of players who come out on social media and, and react um, to every little thing that happens because so many of them happen. It would be very noticeable if they had a lot of players like that. Mplane24, a newer member on Devil's Digest, welcome, said, what should we make of the crowded QB room? Who will transfer or maybe switch positions? I don't see anybody switching positions. Um, Bryce Perkins announced on Twitter that he was medically cleared today. Uh, He was asked to switch positions last year. He's somebody that I've been advocating for since he was a sophomore in high school about him being a natural quarterback, him not having the desire or the mindset to play anything other uh, than than quarterback, and it's possible that he has the idea that now that he's back, maybe he'll make the most of it. But I, I'm pretty sure he still has the same mindset of trying to get the job done at quarterback. The the way that things are this year, it's just not definite that anybody's going to transfer, which is what makes this super interesting. Manny Wilkins is the de facto starter and leader going into next year, so you figure he'll probably stay because Blake Barnett can't even be eligible as as far as it is right now until the fifth game of the season. So even if Arizona State says we want to make Blake Barnett the starter, Manny Wilkins is still going to have probably four games to try to win it outright. Dilling Sterling Cole got on the field last year, which means he's 
invested in this program a little bit. He's probably going to come out and compete, see what he can do. And even if he doesn't win, he's going to feel like he has an opportunity to do it again next year. Ryan Kelly is brand new to the program. When he signs with ASU, you know you're going to have him for the whole year. Brady White's injury was such that he'll probably be rehabbing well into the fall. And if he does announce a transfer, it, it could be during the season, kind of the same way that you saw Blake Barnett this year. But at the same time, Brady White's somebody that if he comes out, gets the number two job, or beats Manny Wilkins outright, could ultimately be the starter. And Bryce Wilkins is in the same position. If he's healthy, he's healthy right now. He's behind Manny Wilkins, who hasn't shown the ability to stay healthy. You might actually go into the season with Bryce Wilkins as your starting quarterback in week one. So you you could have six quarterbacks just based on how all of it is really shaking out. Um, I don't think anyone will switch positions. The the obvious choices to potentially transfer are Perkins and White, but they might not. Um, so we'll see. Jedi, uh, Jedi ASU says, I've always been a fan of Mark Rick. So when I saw this tweet about what he's doing at the U, I was curious if ASU is doing the same. Um, Miami is using its former players to help build recruiting excitement. I mean, Arizona State has players that come back and are around the program enough as it is right now. Jalen Strong, (laughs) Demarius Randall maybe comes back a little bit. Uh, more than you'd want him to, and gets in fights with the with with the student resource center and and stuff like that. Um, but uh, they they have players available. Seem to have a good relationship with Todd Graham, and it's definitely something that they should do if the players are what help drive people to Arizona State as a program. Uh, there aren't too many recruits that I talk to that know very much about former Arizona State players. Besides the the ones that you hear about all the time, like Pat Tillman and and things like that, um, Jake Plummer. So you know, he, so many of the players that committed to ASU in the eighties and nineties and even early two thousands were ultimately from somewhere else. So their parents are some from somewhere else. So they've settled elsewhere. So you don't have as many players around the program, um, but. I say take whatever you can get. It's always interesting to see. Last year, for the first time, I started to see Andrew Walters, you know, around the program a a little bit more. And so, yeah, use them as much as you possibly can. At Cold Devil, are you hearing any current quarterbacks thinking about transferring? Not that I know of. Uh, Another question was, I think the two biggest needs for ASU are the secondary and offensive line. It seems we're doing pretty darn good with the secondary. How about the line? Are there any prospects that you think we will land? Now, Arizona State's still after Austin Jackson and George Moore. It's my personal belief, as I'm recording this right now, that George Moore ends up at Oregon State and Austin Jackson ends up at USC. But... It might not shake out that way. Stay tuned to the Devil's Digest board because if it doesn't turn out that way, you know we're going to know first and we're going to get you that information. Uh, the original Sun Devil for Life says, it seems like when we get some coaches with really excellent recruiting ties in SEC country, should California recruiting be a concern? How can the staff address this? Otherwise, does it even need to be addressed? Uh, probably needs to be addressed because the pipeline can dry up really quick. So if if you go through this year and you lose uh, Demario Richard um, to, to graduation, uh, let's say that Manny Wilkins has the absolute year of his life and becomes an NFL prospect and wants to move on. 
and then you went this last year and you didn't land any prospects from California, you know, you, you have players on the team who are notable and from that area that have moved out of the program and then you're not bringing anybody in. And so unless somebody from California really surfaces and makes a name for themselves, you're, you're at a risk of, you know, the way that high schools cycle in and out is they really only know what's going on around them in two grades above and maybe one grade below. So, you know, anybody that they're following and any tie that you would have, um, it would really come from somebody who was in a recruiting class either, you know, the, the year before or two years before you, somebody who actually had an opportunity to be on varsity with. So you need those ties at big programs um, like Augustus Hawkins, um, and, and any number, modern day, uh, all of the big California programs, Santa Margarita, that are out there, Los Osos, whatever it is, you need to have a foot in the door um, because it even helps when a recruit, visits your school and they come back and tell everybody about it. So CJ Pollard is somebody who visited Arizona state, ultimately went to USC, but went back and told all his teammates how great Arizona state was. And so that's fresh in their mind. So you at least want to be getting kids on visits at at the very least. So it does need to be addressed. And you would hope that in the near future, they have the ability to land some people, but the offensive coordinator that just hired has the same type of ties that everybody else does. So I think wide receiver coach Rob Likens is really going to be the one that's going to have to dig into California and see if he can get a foothold. Uh, Our care 72. Will we get any additional four star signing on February 1st? Well, uh, to be honest, right now, I'm not 100% sure there are some defensive back options that are four stars, and I can guarantee that ASU probably gets one of them. Uh, so I, I, I guess the answer is going to have to be yes. They'll get an additional four star on signing day. Um, it's just a matter of me not knowing how many it will be. Uh, ASU House of Heat. Have you tried barbecue yet, quesadillas, or burrito? Uh, This is in response to last week's podcast when I said that I don't like barbecue because I grew up in Arizona, and that's not the food uh, of the moment here. And so I'm I'm, I'm afraid to kind of really get into it because I know that barbecue elsewhere is probably better. All week on Twitter, people were sending me restaurant recommendations like Little Miss and stuff like that. And I actually had a barbecue chicken salad this week. And uh, I, I don't know why. It just makes everything taste like barbecue sauce. Um, also had some Tom's barbecue, some leftover Tom's barbecue from a, from a wedding party that my wife threw. And that reminded me of high school a little bit because there's one by Chandler High where I went. Um, but no, but no I, I, I haven't had any good Arizona barbecue yet. Uh, last couple of questions. Santan Devil. Phil Bennett had a pretty good defensive line coach at Baylor. Who do you think ASU brings in as, as their defensive line coach? And is Phil Bennett a rugby-style tackling endorser? Um, I don't know what Phil Bennett's tackling philosophies are. I would say that um, if you have Keith Patterson on the team, and Todd Graham, you know, they're probably going to still be teaching some of the stuff they were teaching last year. As far as rugby tackling for safety's sake, I don't think that the rugby styling or style practice of tackling affected the ASU's ridiculous inability to not tackle on the field. I think that ultimately comes from uh, the way that other teams attacked ASU and getting people in wide open space and Arizona State's mentality that they could just lay some people out. Um, They also had some people in the defensive backfield last year that really hadn't 
A, faced that level of competition before, or B, really played much in that position. I remember Tyler Wiley missing a few tackles, and it was just a matter of him being new uh, to the situation. And he ultimately, you know, he ended up on the bench watching for a lot of the the rest of that season. So um, I, I don't think that rugby tackling really has anything to do with it. I'm not sure what Phil Bennett's philosophy is. Uh, but as far as defensive line coach, um, I think Todd Graham had the right idea this last year in bringing in somebody with ties um, to the Polynesian community because really some of the best prospects out there, you know, they're Polynesians and you don't want to be in a situation where you're, you're saying, Oh, you need a token coach to identify with this culture. You know, I, I hate that mindset in, in the first place. Um, but I, I think what Todd Graham was really trying to do was bring Joe Samalo in, make him feel like family, help Joe Samalo to make other players feel like, um, Arizona State, the Arizona State family could be a good place um, for them to be, you know, surrounded by people who respect um, Polynesian culture and, and and the way that they go about their business and their work ethic and the way that they do things. Now, it didn't work out. Um, and I'm not saying that ASU should go out and hire somebody else who is of Polynesian descent. But what I am saying is Arizona State needs a defensive line coach that is not the same as most of the coaches on the staff, if, if that makes sense. Not from the Texas, Oklahoma area um, with, with the same faith family football um, outlook on things. I think they need a little bit different flavor and, and, and perspective. Um, and it doesn't necessarily, you know, have to be a different cultural perspective. It doesn't necessarily have to be, you know, a different race or, or, or different regional, uh, respect. Um, but at the same time, it needs to be somebody who can at least differentiate a little bit from what the majority of this coaching staff brings to the table, which means it needs to check at least one of those boxes, it doesn't have to be all of them, but it has to be somebody I think that can really differentiate themselves. If everyone on this team is somebody who played high school football or coached high school football in the same area of the country that's 1,200 miles away from where Arizona State is, then you're ultimately shooting yourself in the foot and closing yourself off to opportunities that are elsewhere. So somebody who's from California, somebody who's from Nevada, um, you know, I, I would be fine with them bringing Jackie Ship back. Um, I don't think they will, but I'd be absolutely fine with that because I thought he did a, a better job as a coach and a recruiter here than Joe Samalo did, and, and he doesn't have a job right now because he got fired at Missouri for um, doing what he does and being a little bit too intense with a player. So um, I, I don't know who they'll go with. Um, usually I'm able to kind of put together a list, and at this time I'm kind of at a, at a loss because there's been so much change that most of my brain power has been used up on this. But I, I think they'll find somebody, and, and, and I believe the best thing for this program would be for it to be somebody who's a little bit off the radar and a little bit different from what they currently offer as far as their coaching staff. Uh, last couple questions. Peggy for ASU, most important host on Evan's trip, Chad Adams or Buttercake? Now, uh, Evan Fields told me when he made his trip that the best thing that he's ever tasted in his life was the Buttercake that he had when he went out to dinner with the team on that Saturday night. And he was hosted by Chad Adams. Uh, I I think that when you can, when you can name a, a dish that you had um, you know, a few days later when you're given an interview, I think that that's probably the more important factor. Uh, Bless the Fall says, why doesn't ASU utilize Tempe Town Lake for game day festivities? 
I don't know. It'd probably be good. They probably learned something from the Arizona Cardinals who decided to put that giant lawn in and really encourage a culture of tailgating, especially for the people who have to do a lot of traveling. Um, Arizona State's tailgating situation is something, you know, that I haven't necessarily experienced too much of, but feel a lot of complaints about just from, from, you know, the people who are part of our message board in Devil's Digest. They're all diehard, lifelong fans who have all been in tailgating situations or perhaps run one or catered one or, or, or done any number of things and they all seem to have be of the same opinion that it's either you know there are too many restrictions or it's too um too expensive or they get moved around too much uh and so you know something different needs to be done and tempe town lake seems like it would be something that 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 could uh, alleviate some of those concerns in my opinion uh twas 88 says how likely is each one of the defensive line candidates to actually be named um the the next coach uh, and that was in reference to the previous question uh I, do, I just don't have a name i don't know who could be here in coaching the defensive line but whoever they bring in has to really get somebody like deshaun smallwood to step up maybe they can get some use out of christian hill in his last year of eligibility um, you know, hopefully they get J- Jalen Bates back from injury because I think he could be an absolute star uh, coming off the edge. But th- they need somebody who can really motivate this group to do a little bit better job than they did last year. Thank you for your questions. Thank you to Devil's Digest. Um, Hoder Bino, great information. He, he's always in the know. He always gets it out there uh, in, into the forums for, for you guys to be able to know what we know as we know it. Uh, it's an absolute pleasure working for him, and, and I appreciate him housing the podcast on devilsdigest.com. Do yourself a favor, sign up, subscribe, jump in the message boards. We have these conversations all week, every week. The podcast is just for fun, uh, just to bring a little bit uh, different to the table, uh, something for you guys. So uh, thank you so much for listening. Make sure you hop on Devil's Digest, and we'll catch you next week after signing day. I was living in a devil town I didn't know it was a devil town Oh Lord, it really brings me down About the devil town